What's up, everyone? Welcome back to the 60 Feet 6 Inches LSU podcast. Thank you all for joining me. And man, do I have a special treat for everybody today. I am pleased to be joined on the podcast by a friend of mine, Mark Garland. Mark, thank you for joining me today. How are you doing, man? Doing great, man. So happy to be here. Can't wait. Uh, Super excited to talk some Pac-12 and some SEC baseball. Let's get after it. I know, man. We're a week away. I know softball just kicked off uh, last night. But for those of y'all who may not know, Mark is part of the Weekend Rotation, which is a college baseball podcast. And he is also the content creator for the College Baseball Central Twitter account. And new this year, he also uh, got started the College Softball Central account as well. So, Mark, why don't you tell everybody about both of these ventures and where they can find your stuff? Yeah, the Weekend Rotation was really just an idea that we wanted to go out and cover more baseball. So every Saturday morning when season starts, uh, 8 a.m. West Coast time, we get going. We start up. We try to do an hour and a half on all the games and getting people previewed for the weekend. And then uh, collegebaseballcentral.net, we started our website. We got that up. So we have writing articles and we have all the meet the people. And we started the softball side and it really took off during the World Series last year. Uh, So now we do a podcast probably about once a month here where we keep everybody informed of what's going on in the world of softball. That's awesome, man. And um, kudos to y'all for softball because I think about 10 years ago, they started putting the Women's College World Series on and it's, it's fun. It's fast paced. And those girls are really good. And uh, you just don't see a ton of softball stuff out there, at least not that comes across my timeline. So uh, kudos to y'all for that. But um, to the people who check in regularly with me, you know, I had this idea of uh, trying to bring a different perspective on in terms of college baseball. We focus so much on the SEC and LSU on my podcast. And Mark is an Oregon State fan. He's very close to the program. And he's been nice enough to host me on his weekend rotation podcast a couple of times to get my take on LSU. So I thought it'd be a great idea to have him on. He was up for the challenge. And um, I think he's the absolute perfect person to give some perspective on the Pac-12 this year. So with that, let's get into it. But first, a quick reminder, you can find the 60 Feet 6 Inches LSU pod on Apple, Google, Spotify, and other major audio platforms. You can also view all the content on the 60 Feet 6 Inches YouTube channel. And lastly, the Twitter account, as y'all know, is at 60FT6INLSUPod. So this is going to be similar to the way I've done different preview episodes. Take a look back at a year in review. And uh, Mark can speak on every team in the Pac-12, but uh, we're just going to focus on the top one. So really focusing on Stanford, Oregon, UCLA, and of course, Mark's team, Oregon State. But uh, really quick, I want to just inform everybody how the teams finished up last year. So if you look at Stanford, they were really the class of the conference. They won the Pac-12, made their second trip to the College World Series. They finished ranked either fifth or sixth in the national polls at the end of the year. Oregon State finished third in the Pac-12 last year. They actually lost to Auburn in their own Super Regionals, and they finished the year ranked 10th in a lot of the national polls. UCLA came in second in the Pac-12 last year, uh, lost in the Auburn Regional, and finished toward the end of the top 25 last year. And then finally, Oregon lost in the Louisville Regional, and also Arizona, I should mention Arizona. They lost in the Miami Regional after making the College World Series in 2021. And as LSU fans know, that was a Jay Johnson team. So you had uh, a College World Series participant, a team that lost in the Supers, and two teams that lost in the Regionals. Well, actually three I just mentioned. So, Mark, from your perspective, looking back on 2022, you know, did the way the conference as a whole, the way they finished, was that a surprise to you or did you expect a little more from some of those top teams? Well, I mean, Stanford going two and out in the World Series was tough because that was a very good Stanford team. 
they kind of fell apart on the pitching side during the late stretch there, and that was really what killed them when they got to Omaha. They just didn't have the pitching to stand up to those teams that were down there, the offensive powerhouses. Uh, as far as Oregon losing Louisville, that was kind of foreseen. Like They weren't really the team that was really built for that last year. They're more built for this year. They're literally pushing to be a Pac-12 contender this year. Uh, same with Arizona. They were not really meant to go down there and win in Coral Gables down there. Ole Miss was hot, too, so they weren't going to go through and win that one down there. That's impossible. Oregon State was one hit away from winning their Super Regional against Auburn. Great series. That went to the backs there, the three games there. When you look at the UCLA team, that was more surprising to see them stumble because they were so hot at the last end of the season there. They were coming in with this young, young team, really not knowing what to expect, and they were just playing really well. I think the youth caught up with them late last year. Uh, but that youth has all turned into sophomores this year. So now they all have that year of experience under their belt. They played well in the Pac-12 tournament. I expect them to go, go forward from that and build on that. Yeah, those are some really great points. And a lot of those points we're going to touch on later. It's it's really a great segue. But um, And it seems like, you know, moving ahead to 2023, Stanford once again seems to be the class of the Pac-12 again. But obviously with some different contenders, which we'll get into that. And uh, for those who don't know, Stanford is a top five consensus team in the country. You know, one poll has them ranked two, kind of right between LSU and Tennessee. They have UCLA this year coming at the 12 to 17 number. So like you said, Mark, building off that youth with another year under that belt. Oregon State, anywhere from 18 to 23rd. Oregon, 20 to 25th. So kind of at the back end of the top 25. But I was obviously in doing some research. The preseason polls or the coaches' picks or the other athletic directors they think Stanford's going to win the conference again. They have UCLA coming in at number two, Oregon State three, Arizona four, which surprised me, and we're not really going to focus them on this pod, and then Oregon fifth. So in your opinion, you know, do you think – does that sound about right? But it may sound a little different from what you just said, you know, looking forward to 2023. So when I look at this, Stanford is the class of the Pac-12 this year. They are set. They got draft picks that are going to be just ridiculous. Tommy Troy, Drew Bowser, Carter Graham. These guys could all hit 20-plus home runs again. Then you factor in Braden Montgomery, who's a two-way player. He throws 98 miles an hour, plays right field every other day, hits the ball. He had 18 home runs last year as a true freshman. Uh, and then they have pitchers Quinn Matthews and Drew Dad. I think that their question mark is starting pitching because they have a lot of guys returning in the bullpen there for them. Ryan Bruno, Tommy O'Troy. They got guys coming or Tommy O'Rourke. They got guys coming back in the bullpen. So I think their question mark is that third starting pitcher. But as you said, they're a top five team. That's not going to be in question. They hit the ball way too well. That infield is all experience. I don't expect anything less from Stanford. Uh, when you look at UCLA, that's an interesting one because they're so young, right? They're still yeah. sophomores. They're not really experienced as the way you look at teams that are juniors and seniors. But in today's baseball game, sophomores now, if they played as a freshman, which a lot of these guys did, mm -hmm. that's the experience you need moving forward. You know, Cody Schreier, he's on the Golden Spikes watch list. Very talented infielder there. Kyle Karros, son of Eric Karros, uh, he's in there. Darius Perry, catcher, he got all league uh, conference records. There's guys there. They're moving their closer, Alonzo Treadwell, who was a stud last year as a freshman. Right. He's going to be their Friday starter. So they lost Thatcher Hurd to LSU, which is a big loss to that you know starting rotation. But they have three guys in Treadwell, Jake Brooks, and Kelly Austin who really take charge and are three true starters in this conference, which gives them a chance to compete with the likes of Stanford. Uh, move to the Ducks. Uh, they are 
experience. Coach Wazowski has done a tremendous job in recruiting down there. They have four all-conference players that are starting off the preseason here. Tanner Smith, Josiah Cromwick, Drew Cowley, and then their starter, Logan Mikado. They're built to win games this year. They're also having Jacob Walsh move to first base and be full-time first baseman. Okay. He's a guy that could hit 20 home runs and really add to that conference here. And then when you look at the Beavers, they're having to replace a lot. So I think that's why teams are a little bit hesitant in putting them higher in the top 25. They're replacing four draft picks, three from the outfield, one from the starting mound there. That's a lot to replace there. But they have guys like Travis Bazana coming back, uh, Garrett Forrester, Trent Sellers is a transfer in pitcher who went 27 and one in the NAIAs. Um, so he's very good. He's going to come in and probably be Saturday or Sunday starter. Jacob Kamatz returns after a tremendous eight win freshman season. Tanner Smith behind the dish, who a lot of people are calling the best catcher in the Pac 12. Um, and then they got freshman Gavin Turley, who was going to be a first round draft pick in the MLB, but told teams he wanted to go to Oregon State. He wanted that experience. So nice. It's going to be interesting to see what this outfield is, replacing all three starters out there. But I think that these teams are really built on a consistency of these are the teams that are more experienced, and that's why they're so much higher ranked this year going forward. Yeah. Do you feel, you know, Oregon State had amazing runs kind of under Pat Casey. And, um, you know, Stanford, it seems like they're, you know, they had runs when I was playing, but it seems like they're kind of coming back of age, per se, and becoming a dominant program again. Do you think the conference is taking a step back? Let's just say in the past three to four years, when you look at, you know, the SEC, and we focus heavily on that on this podcast, as you know, and the ACC, I haven't really dove into them, but they are all throughout the rankings this year, and they seem to be very deep, talented conference. But in terms of the Pac-12, do you think there's a shift in the college baseball landscape, or are they just kind of they where they are, you know, naturally, you know? This is what I see when I look out here. The, the Pac-12 is very – top heavy conference it never mm -hmm. used to be it used to be really deep you know they used to be able to send seven teams to the tournament now you're talking about four maybe five get in and it's really just a top heavy conference it feels like the lower half of this conference has had a really hard time uh recruiting and getting those players to come in here when the sec and acc have stepped up so much it feels like those players are not really coming out to the west coast anymore and that's really hurt pac-12 so it's a really top heavy conference uh and i expect to see it continue in those trends i just don't see enough talent coming to the West coast where we're going to see the seven and eight teams get out of the pac 12 and get into the tournament. Yeah. I, 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 that's interesting. You say that. Cause you know, um, obviously a lot of LSU fans, you know, in the nineties and two thousands, you know, not just pac 12, but you think about Fullerton. I used to love watching Fullerton growing up and now you don't, the past three years, I haven't heard Fullerton mentioned once. That's kind of a West coast staple program. But if you look at the pac 12, you know, Jay Johnson left Arizona, but they were great with Andy Lopez, won a couple of college world series and Arizona state to me, I used to love watching Arizona State play. I've been out to that stadium. And then looking back at some of their recent uh, history, they've had some struggles as well. And like we were talking before the podcast started, what happened to USC? You know, they were great in the 90s. They had that great history with Rod, Dato, before scholarships. But they're, they're, they're they, they didn't, I don't think, won 10 conference games last year. So uh, it's crazy what's kind of happened out there. Yeah, USC is going through a huge transition. I like what they've done. They've hired Coach Andy Stankiewicz from Grand Canyon, who was a big proven winner down there. Uh, they got Andy Jenkins, Travis Jewett, Seth Etherton. They brought in some real MLB talent guys that know how to judge talent. I hope that USC is rebuilding, but you're right. 1999, they were in there. All of a sudden, they've fallen off. You know, They're just nowhere to be found in, in the baseball landscape. They were a baseball blue blood for 40 years, and right. then they're gone. They don't even hold up. And now they're leaving to go to the Big Ten like we talked about earlier. Yeah, speaking of that, great segue right there. I know we touched on it earlier. 
uh, in the green room per se, but that, that I wonder how, obviously the big 10 is not known for baseball. It's freezing up there, but I wonder how USC and UCLA moving to the big 10 will affect, I think really from a recruiting and even transfer portal perspective. Cause if, if you've got a kid, let's say from uh, Southern California and UCLA is all over them. And then his parents are like, but yeah, half those conference games are in the Midwest or am I going to be able to catch him on TV? That's probably not an issue anymore. But um, do you think it's going to have an adverse impact on those guys moving forward? I think that it hurts UCLA baseball because it's, you know, UCLA yeah. is competing in Pac-12, which is, you know, the third or fourth conference, depending on how you look at them with the Big 12 as far as baseball goes. When you go to the Big Ten, you're going to a non-baseball conference. This is like yeah. we put them in a show ourselves at the weekend rotation with the non-conference baseball teams. Like <laughs> they're just not there, right? So you're talking about they're super top heavy there. Does that mean that UCLA goes and dominates that league? Probably. Does right. it help USC that maybe they get more eyes in the fact that they're going to be winning more games? Possibly. But I think it hurts UCLA a lot. And I think it does hurt recruiting, you know, how's a parent going to be able to watch a game when USC is going to play Rutgers on the East coast for a weekend series, those families aren't going to be able to travel and to watch these games. So maybe those kids start going to schools around, you know, like Arizona, Arizona state starts to rebuild. Um, and then you're talking about the Oregon schools and Washington schools might get more of these LA kids because their parents want them to be in the conference at home. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree 100%. It's, um, I don't think it's really something – and I would say UCLA more so than USC. I agree with that just because of their brand and what they've been in the college baseball landscape. It's almost similar to the fact that Texas and Oklahoma moving into the SEC where it came out uh, yesterday, I think. They're moving into the conference a year early. So that's um, – you know, the rich kind of get richer in terms of baseball when you look at the uh, college baseball landscape, adding those two programs. But – Real quick, um, I always like to touch on some non-conference scheduling. And to me, it's very interesting. I love to see uh, different cross-regional matchups. And now, as you know, the advent of the tournaments is back. You know, LSU's playing in the Round Rock tournament. Last year, they played in Houston with the Shriners Classic. Uh, they have a kickoff tournament in Arlington where the Rangers play that a lot of uh, SEC schools. And they have a Frisco tournament. Then um, Ole Miss is traveling up to Minneapolis to play in like a Cambria Classic. But – we don't have to get too deep into everybody's non-conference schedule, but is there are there a couple matchups that uh, maybe pique your interest from a Pac-12 perspective when you look at these teams' non-conference schedule? So Pac-12, when you look at these teams, a lot of them have to travel. They're like northern teams, so it's cold, it's yeah. wet up here, it's 40 degrees and rainy. So <laughs> I know like Oregon State, they're going down to play in surprise, right? Because that's what they do every year because it's nice and they can go get games in. Yeah. They're guaranteed to get those games in. It's a big deal. So going down and playing and those kind of things is big. I know Stanford last year went to Round Rock and they played in that tournament to get some games in. It's important for these guys to go out and reach and play some of these better teams all over the country kind of to just use it as a measuring stick when you really get into it and find out right. what your team's about. I know Oregon, U of O is kind of weird. They're hosting Xavier on opening weekend, yeah, which is like – all right, we're going to see what happens here. Like, this is not a good Xavier team, but I understand what they're trying to do. They're trying to build that home base, trying yeah. to get more fans into the stands because it is tough when you're up here because a lot of your preseason is on the road. Uh, I know Oregon State, Coach Canham talked about they're having their second week in the home against the Cal team because they want to have more teams come to Oregon State to play in the preseason because they seem like they're on the road every year, which is the most difficult part. Yeah, I think, and I agree, even looking through some of those guys' schedules, it's, it's interesting. Um when you look at the West Coast teams, even some of their midweek games are road games. Yeah. Whereas, you know, teams in the SEC have so many 
quality college baseball teams around to where during the midweek, LSU can reach out and play ULF yet, Tulane, um, Louisiana Tech, you know, even like Southern Miss or South Alabama or down the road. The same for any team really in the, in the South, you know, it's easy, but it, just some things that I picked out. Um, I saw like Arizona State. I think this is really cool. Arizona State's playing a three-game set at Mississippi State. Yep. But then they're playing a midweek series at Oklahoma State. So it's <laughs> interesting. You know, those guys, they got to fly out. You know, they play a Tuesday, Wednesday. Then they got to fly back to get ready for a weekend slate. And then another thing that kind of caught my eye is um, Stanford is playing three-game set at Oklahoma. So who finished as a runner-up last year. Um, as you mentioned, Oregon for my Louisiana faithful out there. Northwestern State from Natchitoches is traveling all the way to Eugene. I have no idea why. They're going to play Oregon in a three-game set. But um, I think the most interesting one is UCLA traveling to Vanderbilt for a three-game set. So do you think – I've mentioned on my Twitter account, I would love to see some type of ACC versus SEC showdown, much like they do in basketball, like the ACC Big Ten Challenge. Do you think you'll see more of uh, – UCLA going to Vanderbilt, and I'm sure Vanderbilt maybe returns a trip, or Arizona State going to um, Mississippi State. Now, do you think you'll see kind of more of that cross-regional home-and-home series, even with those tournaments out there? So now it's become more popular for these teams to set those things up because of money, right? They can afford to do it now. Some of these schools are able to afford themselves these luxuries of being able to play coast-to-coast and being able to play these teams that they really want to play. Also, with social media and how the coaches can connect now, it's so much easier to schedule these games out with guys that they want to play against and teams that they want to play. So I think we're going to see more of that where you're going to see these good teams playing each other versus having to play regionally because there's teams, like you said, LSU plays a lot of teams that are right down the road. Well, that's because of regionally it's so much easier and it was such an easy expense. Now these guys can afford to travel. They can send these guys elsewhere. And the online schools and the tutors and everything else has come so far with student-athletes. Taking a Tuesday, Wednesday trip on the road is not the end of the world. It's not that tough. Then you fly back Thursday and you're ready to play your home series on Friday. So I expect to see more of this in the baseball landscape than we have in the past. Yeah, that's a great point you brought up with um, all the all the amenities they have now, you know, not taking bus rides and, and a lot of things they do with tutors. But I would love to see LSU, and maybe it'll happen with Jay Johnson and kind of his West Coast connections, you know, schedule a, uh, a really tough non-conference opponent you know, at least one. If you're going to do a tournament, then you have one tough non-conference opponent, whatever that conference. And then usually they have one or two kind of layup weekend series to get some guys some PT. But I would love to see that continue to happen. So hats yeah, off how many for, times? How many times have we seen LSU have to travel out west for uh, the tournament? Yeah, like they've had to come to Oregon. They've played Oregon State. Like these schools have already played each other. So getting that done in the preseason would be a, a really big thing for a lot of these schools. No, I, I agree. I agree. I think a home and home will be cool too, because as you know, LSU fans like to travel, and I'm sure, you know, West Coast fans would travel down here with the weather and whatnot. But uh, one thing I did want to touch on, I found this very interesting. As you know, the transfer portal is massive now in college baseball, almost just as important as high school recruiting. You know, you can quick fix, you can turn your team around in a year or two while also building that base through high school recruiting. And as you know, LSU crushed it in the portal. So I did a lot of teams, such as Tennessee. Um, Mississippi State, uh, Ole Miss got a couple of portals. But when I took a look at the Division One, at the D1 baseball site and their top 50 impact transfers this year, I only found three from the Pac-12. And they were from one team, and that's Arizona State. They had the number 9, 21, and 22nd ranked portal transfers. And I don't know if you have an answer to this, but I'm going to throw it to you. One, does that surprise you? But two, you mentioned some p- 
portal, some transfer kids earlier in like your mini team breakdowns, but is like, is there an aversion to the portal out West or, or that, or it's just, they're taking it with a grain of salt or building slowly into the portal. You know, that just shocked me. I don't, I don't know what your take is on that Mark. So Willie Bloomquist down in Arizona state, he knew he wanted to rebuild now. So he hit that transfer portal hard. He went out there, he got a high transfer portal team. He's got like nine transfer kids in that he's wow. really rebuilding with down there. So it's going to be interesting to see if he can build something with all those kids and put it together. Cause it is different when you're recruiting guys and you keep them for a while. It's a lot different than, you know, getting players in that have already had that experience on the West coast. You see a lot of teams that have like a JC partner almost. So they have mm, a junior college that's okay. basically in their city or a city close to them. That is kind of like where they pull their transfer kids from. They're all junior college kids that usually play really close to home already. And so they know who they can reach out to. They can go out and they can go get these guys that are in the area locally. It's easier for recruiting. They know what they're getting when they go get these players. But they also like to build four-year guys, so they go out and they recruit a lot of freshmen. I think that the Pac-12 is a little bit behind in the transfer portal because they're not really looking to go out and get these one- and two-year players. They're looking to keep guys around the program and keep building things. But like I said, they have a lot of these JC partners, little like uh, community college schools that are near every single school, and that's kind of where they pull from. You'll see that when you look at the rosters. Oh, that, that is really interesting. And that is uh, – it's not one of those aha moments for the audience. Like, I didn't know that. Like, I truly, I truly didn't know that. So uh, that makes a lot of sense now. And just kind of a different way to go about things um, and having to adjust on the fly. Because it seems like, in even the top 50 list, ACC took a lot of advantage of, of these um, portal kids as well. And obviously, I'm sure NIL comes into it a little bit. But um, real quick, I want to remind everybody to check out Mark and his guys over there at the Weekend Rotation Podcast as we're talking Pac-12 preview with Mark Garland. Very knowledgeable about all things college baseball across the country. But I think he brings a certain expertise to the Pac-12. And also, as part of that weekend rotation podcast, I can't forget my guy, Alex Day. Lives in Austin, is a huge LSU fan. So, shout out to him. I've done some things with Alex, and uh, he's helped me out on the podcast as well. But don't forget to find all of Mark's content for College Baseball Central and then College Softball Central, as well as the weekend rotation podcast. And I will link all that and tag him and all of his accounts on my Twitter page. All right, Mark, let's get back into it. I know you touched on it briefly. Um, and you mentioned a ton of guys that I, I really want to kind of highlight. And we'll just kind of focus on those really top-level teams, like you said, uh, the top contenders, Stanford, UCLA, Oregon, Oregon State. But um, one of the things I didn't realize about Stanford until I was starting to do some research, and I guess I should have realized this last year, one, two College World Series uh, appearances back-to-back. Consensus five team this year, that didn't surprise me. But I didn't know how good of a hitting team they were last year. And you touched on it, and maybe you can go into it a little more depth, but for my audience out there, they hit 118 home runs last year, which was eighth most in the country. They had six players that hit double-digit home runs in 2022, and they hit 309 as a team. They absolutely mashed. You know, I remember Stanford back in the day, a ton of pitching, great defense, and a couple of guys that could mash. So seeing all that power come out of them, that was truly surprising to me. And you mentioned it, like Braden Montgomery, who's a dual-way player. And just who are, who are a couple other guys you mentioned? Uh, that hit you know double-digit home runs and kind of what you expect those guys to do this year? So when you're talking about the long ball and you're talking about Stanford, for me it starts with Carter Graham. Okay. Uh, people don't realize how many home – that guy hit 20-plus home runs last year. I think it was 28, wow. and he just crushed the ball. Like this is a great power team. Drew Bowser had a down season where he hit 280, but he also had 18 home runs, and he came on late as a hot hitter. 
Tommy Troy is going to be a top five MLB pick. They have him really slated high as a second baseman. Wow. He's a double-digit home run guy. And Braden Montgomery, like you said, as a freshman last year in the conference, he hit 18 home runs. And he went out there and threw 98 miles an hour on the mound whenever he came in in the bullpen. So there's four guys returning with double-digit home runs that could all hit 20 home runs. You could see 100 home runs from just those four players this year, which would be tremendous for Stanford when they're looking at what they can do numbers wise and playing in that sunken diamond ballpark. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's so Montgomery, was he used mainly as a closer last year? Obviously I'm sure you got to watch his arm and watch the amount of time you get him on the mound, but is that, is that how they used him? They used him in bullpen. They really didn't use him as a closer. They really didn't put him in any pressure situations. I think they more or less just wanted coach Esker just wanted to get him some innings and just get him used to pitching in yeah. pac 12 playing, get him used to pitching in those games. I think this year you might see him more in a setup role or coming in or maybe even closing, just depending on what the situation is down there in Stanford. They have a lot of good bullpen, but I expect to see him get a lot more innings, maybe up there in the 50, 60 innings this year. Oh, wow. Okay. That, that, that is a lot. You're exactly right. And, uh, I saw not only could they hit, because that, that is a murderer's row. That lineup, to me, looks like that could match up with any lineup in the country. You know, SEC, no bias here. I mean, those guys can absolutely mash, and I'm sure they're going to do it again. But it also looks like they have some arms. You know, it looks like they have a couple of key starters coming back in Dowd and Uber, 15 and 10 game starter respectively. But another guy looked like a, a big piece, and I, I don't know how much you know about Quinn Matthews. He had nine saves. 27 appearances, nine games started, really kind of a jack-of-all-trades, amazing ERA. You know, how do they look on the pitching side to go along with that, you know, 27 Yankees-type lineup? So Drew Dowd is going to take a big step forward, in my opinion. I think that he makes a huge leap there. He had some really good moments last year. Then he had some really down moments where he came out and got hit really hard. Quinn Matthews was the same. So when they were up for the Oregon State Series in Corvallis last year, they took two or three, and that really – Jump started their season because they had already they were already a 500 team at that point, so they really had to get going after that Corvallis series. Quinn Matthews struggled. Esker makes the decision to put him in the bullpen and start getting him used to throwing in important times and throwing in those. I think you see him move back to the starter role this year okay. and really take off as like those two are going to be a two headed dragon to where they really could lead this conference in a lot of categories pitching wise. Do you think wrapping up on Stanford here with Mark? Do you think? I don't want to overstate this or, or a prisoner of the moment, but do you think Stanford is taking the step to become the most dominant program out West with this two year run? And, uh, you know, I'm not getting into the weeds. I don't know who they have coming on board or what they're looking like in terms of depth in their entire roster, but it seems like, you know, last year and then this year, they're kind of building something special out there and they look like they're loading up. Yeah. I, I think that they, are doing a really good job of keeping people cycling through this program that are really highly talented. The problem is it's hard to recruit at Stanford because of the <laughs> entry requirements. It's just hard to get kids in that are, really, sure. you know, unless they're perfect students and they have really good grades and everything else, it's just hard to get to Stanford. Yeah. Esker's done a great job of recruiting the right guys for his team and put them in the right positions. I expect that going forward. I think that schools like the Oregon State and Oregon and Arizona and Arizona State are catching up, though, because they're realizing that they can build these programs uh, and they have a little bit easier requirements of getting into the schools. Gotcha. Yeah, that makes sense. Obviously, with Vanderbilt down here, you know, we've seen that as well. But um, great stuff right there. So let's move on to UCLA. So just to remind people, they were ranked anywhere from 12 to 17 in the preseason polls. And it seems like UCLA has always been in the conversation since Savage has been out there as their head coach. They always kind of pump out some good pitching. Um, they still kind of typify 
the what I think of Stanford blows this analogy out the water as a typical West Coast baseball program. And you mentioned it earlier, and you're spot on in doing some research. They are super young. I think the two guys up the middle and Cody Schreier and Gorson were freshmen last year. Correct yep. me if I'm wrong. And yep. I saw where Cody Schreier is the sixth ranked shortstop in the country. Surprise to me. And that I was wondering if that was Eric Karros' kid with Kyle Karros at third base, and he had a lot of pop. Looks like a big kid at third. And like you said, they returned some outfielders for the Bruins. But in looking at their hitting numbers, do you think they're going to have the bats? I know you said they were young and they're all going to take a step forward this year. Are they going to have the bats in that lineup to challenge Stanford for that top spot this year? So that's the question when you look at this team. They don't really drive the ball out of the ballpark. They really feel more like a West Coast team where they're going to bang it around with the doubles and they're going to hit the singles and they're going to move guys around. They do a lot of hit and run. They do a lot of things where they move those runners with bunts and they try a lot of different ways to get runs in. They try to manufacture runs. I think that these guys are going to be a little bit stronger. I think you might see those power numbers jump up a little bit, but it's not going to match Stanford as far as hitting wise. They're just not going to do it. They're going to have to do it with the arms, I believe. Okay. Yeah. To your point, they only hit 47 home runs last year. I think that's two of Stanford's kids combined. So yeah. <laughs> it's uh, it's interesting. So speaking about those arms, and you mentioned him earlier, but um, maybe John Jay Johnson can pull another rabbit out the hat. But freshman All-American Alonzo Treadwell, you, you touched on him earlier, but maybe go back and revisit that because that was a little, a little earlier in the show. Team USA participant, freshman All-American, 25 appearances, 4-1, a 2.11 ERA, six saves, and a 195 batting average against. I mean, he seems like the absolute real deal. And in an article I read, it seems like, I believe you mentioned it, they're going to bump him to the starting rotation as well. So how does this UCLA pitching staff shake out? And then, you know, what's your feeling on Treadwell? Because he seems like a stud. Treadwell is a stud. I mean, you watch him pitch last year in the Pac-12 and as a freshman, he'd go up against some of these lineups we're talking about, the Stanfords, the Oregon States, the Arizonas, the Washingtons, really good lineups last year, and he shut them down. He was tremendous on the mound. And I think that building from a freshman now, he's going to be a sophomore. He got all those accolades. You've seen it before with guys like Kenyon Yovan who have made that change from being a freshman All-American closer at Oregon. Then he starts in the weekend rotation, and he's a stud on Fridays. I see that transition for Treadwell. I believe that he's going to step in and be elite right now. And then you've got guys like Jake Brooks who were coming back from injury last year. He started a ton of games. He had a ton of experience before he got hurt. And then you got Kelly Austin, who was their third starter. So they have three guys with a ton of experience. They might have the most front-loaded pitching staff in the Pac-12. Wow. Well, I wasn't going to plan on asking this, but, man, do you – I just can't help myself. The UCLA Vandy series is going to be awesome. Especially when you look at pitching, you just mentioned those three guys, and then you know Van- Vandy's got um, Holton and Futrell, the two lefties, and they have a ton of experience and a stud in the bullpen too. With their closer coming back, I think it's Thomas Schultz. But I mean, any early predictions on that series going across the country? You know that that thing's probably going to be two one, right? A squeeze wins it in the end. <laughs> so I had first him. I got to see Vanderbilt play five games last year. I saw him play in Hawaii, and then I got to see him play in the Corvallis Regional. And those yeah. pitchers were the real deal. They they really match up well with this UCLA team, I think. I think it's going to come down to timely hitting in that series, but I think it's going to be a low-scoring game. You might see some 3-2, 2-1 ball games because it's early in the season. Pitching right. seems to dominate a little bit more than the hitting early. I, I expect these to be great series, but I think I think, I think think UCLA could surprise them and take two or three. 
Yeah, it, it wouldn't surprise me. It seemed like they're very similarly built, and Vanderbilt lost a lot of pop this year, and I have a lot of questions about their lineup. Their pitching yeah. staff, I'm sold on, but their lineup. So just a great series to be looking out for. All right, moving on. I know you don't want to do it. We've got to talk about the Ducks, you know. <laughs> and I'm, I'm really curious on your opinion on these guys because when I think of Oregon, I'm sure a lot of people down south do. Obviously, you immediately go to the football program, right? Nike, the uniforms, all the flash. But they also have a solid baseball program. May not be spectacular, but it seems to be very solid, and they're always fighting for a regional. How would you sum up their program? Do you think they're just a fringe top twenty-five team, and they're going to be trying to get into a regional that, that year? Is that is that their ceiling, or do you think that's their floor from a uh, kind of you live out in that region from a program perspective? So you know they had Coach Horton, who just got inducted to the yeah. Hall of Fame. He's the one who started that program back up. Great. Mm-hmm. They had a hard time transitioning. Coach Wasikowski has done a tremendous job with this team. And they have really bought in as far as the school-wise. Like, they've fixed the ballpark. They've put in all sorts of facilities. They have one of the best hitting facilities in the country out there. They've shortened up the field. They took it in 10 feet last year. So they brought in that. You can see the power numbers rose tremendously for this team. Uh, They have really built a winner down there. And that's kind of his mindset is to win now. He's not looking for the future. He wants to win this year. He wants this team to be elite right now. And he's gone out and got some players that really make this team better. And Tanner Smith in the outfield, catcher Josiah Cromwick, Drew Cowley in the infield. Mm -hmm. And then they're adding Jacob Walsh, who was really having a breakout season last year. He just didn't get full time by himself at first because he was kind of a freshman who really wasn't there yet. I expect he could have 20 home runs, like I was saying earlier, for that team at first base. He's a really good power hitter. Yeah, and to to touch on that, you know, they almost – not to the degree that Stanford did, but uh, they hit 310 as a team last year, which was good for 10th in the country. So they could really mash. I've actually had a chance to go out there years ago, and I thought their ballpark – you know, this is probably five or six years ago. I thought their ballpark was really cool then. And we know Oregon's got money, you know, just whether or not they spend it in the right place. And I know their softball program has been successful as well. Do you think – do you think the prediction of them finishing fourth in the conference is correct? Or do you think they have a chance to uh, maybe challenge UCLA for number two or um, jump past Oregon state? You know, you know, could they surprise some people this year? So I had them as my dark horse to possibly win the pac 12 when we had to wow. pick a team. Not okay. Three. I, like I that. think that they have the ability to do it because of coach was, I think he's so okay. good down there. Logan Mercado also is a everyday Friday starter. He could be, what key element is needed for this team to be successful in Pac-12 play. I just I, I don't think that they're at that same level right now with Oregon State, UCLA, and Stanford. There's a really good series this year where the Ducks get Oregon State at home, so that'll yeah. be a big part of their season to see really where they're at because last year they lost all five games to Oregon State, and that's tough when you lose to your in-state rival, losing your all five games. So wow. I expect them to do better this year. I expect the Ducks to kind of take that step forward. I think that they're not – they're on the bubble. They're they're not going to regional host, in my opinion. I think you're only going to see three teams uh, at best regional host here, probably two only. Um, okay. So it's really going to come down to see who plays better in the Pac-12. Interesting. Gotcha. Real quick, I want to remind everybody, as we're continuing our Pac-12 preview with Mark Garland, so just remember, check out all of his stuff over at the Weekend Rotation Podcast. They do a weekly live show. They don't just talk about Pac-12. They talk about everything. He's got guys – stationed all around the country, you know, that can talk SEC, ACC with the best of them. So, and once again, don't forget the College Baseball Central Twitter account, the College Softball Central Twitter account, and all that stuff will be linked on my page so you can make sure to follow Mark throughout the year. Okay, we made it. We made it to the end. Let you talk about your team, (laughs) go off, 
and uh, praise them as much as you want. So we got Oregon State up next. Um, the Beavers, to me, have really been, you know, kind of the quote-unquote program. I don't even think you have to put quotes around it. The, the program out west for, man, probably going on 15 years. You know, they've been a thorn in LSU side on numerous occasions. And uh, when I think about those top programs, I don't think of Stanford, even though they're kind of Johnny-come-lately. I think about Oregon State. And how would you describe – I mean, you're the best one to talk on this. You kind of gave a state of a program address with Oregon, but obviously with, with Pat Casey stepping down a couple years ago. How would you – because it feels like, to me, Oregon State hasn't – I think they're flying under the radar this year. I just haven't heard a ton about them. And in doing research for this pod, it really shocked me. So how would you describe the state of their program heading into 2023? So last year, you looked at all their talent. Okay, they had three guys get drafted out of the outfield. Very good. They had an ace on the mound who was drafted in the first round, Cooper Jerby. I mean, right. those are guys that you don't immediately just replace, right? Oregon State has found a way to bring guys in and be ready to compete right now again. Yeah. I think Coach Canham has done a terrific job. He really understood what Pat Casey was building out here and he wanted to continue to build on that because he was an Oregon State catcher. He right. was here during the national championships. He knew what it took to be a winner and really build off of that. So we're excited to have him down here. Beaver Nation is really pumped to have him. And when you look at this team, Garrett Forrester is highly rated. I know D1 Baseball had him as the number four first baseman in the country. Right. You might see him play a little third this year. Surprise. Uh, he might be moving a little bit around the infield trying to help them out to figure out getting new guys in the lineup and such. Uh, Travis Bazana mm -hmm. was a true freshman All-American last year. The guy was a stud. He put on 15 pounds of muscle. He's hitting the ball 115 miles an hour. It was incredible seeing him in fall ball. He looks like a beast right now. And then you got uh, guys like Can catcher Tanner Smith who split time last year with Logan. Well, now he's going to get the job to himself. And really, coaches fawn about his ability to be a defensive catcher, which is huge for that pitching staff and Coach Dorman. They have a younger pitching staff that has a little bit of experience, but they're younger. So it's going to be really important to be successful as far as Tanner Smith behind the dish for them. Gotcha. Do you think – you mentioned those great hitters in Bazana. He's going to have a breakout year this year for people that may not have heard about him in Forrester. But then kind of looking back for me, you know, all I can really do is go off the stats for the most part. They did lose some of their top hitters. Do you think they're going to have trouble scoring runs and or protecting Bazana and Forrester in that lineup? I don't, but I've been okay. watching them a lot this fall. So well, yeah, they brought in yeah. one of the best freshmen in the country in Gavin Turley, right? And he could have been a first-round draft pick, but he said he wanted to go to Oregon State. Super talented kid. He has been crushing the ball. They brought in a JC transfer who was already planning on coming to the program before as a freshman, but really didn't have the grades to get in. Mm -hmm. Ruben Sadejo, this team actually got faster than they were a year ago. So I think you're going to see a little bit more speed in that lineup. I think you're going to see a little bit more of the small ball. But there's guys that have enough pop that are really bringing it this year. Brady Casper, who's been on the program for a couple of years, he put on 10, 15 pounds of muscle last year. He was hitting the ball out of the ballpark there. Uh, Micah McDowell is going to be playing some outfield also. He's been these guys are both full scholarship players that have been there for two years. So they're just guys who haven't had the opportunity because, like we said, we had three draft picks taken out of the yeah, outfield. Right, so those guys right. just didn't have chances in the past. So those are what's really going to be pushing this team forward. And Tanner Smith, it would not surprise me if Tanner Smith hits 15 home runs this year from the catcher position. Wow. I mean, that's, that's a lot better than I initially thought. And you mentioned speed. You know, they stole 83 bases last year. I didn't realize they ran that much. but that uh, And to have more speed as a former pitcher, that's very scary. But really quick, if you could, you know, this guy I think is a preseason all-pack 12 selection, sticking with Oregon State here. Maybe touch on 
Ben Ferrer, and I hope I'm saying that correct. Yep. But um, just just to let everybody know, this is his stat line from last year, and this is really truly impressive. Four and zero, one point seven two ERA. I mean, just minuscule. Sixty two and two thirds innings pitch, seventy eight K, so more than that one to one ratio we talk about here on the pod. A one seventy six batting average against, and he had three saves. So I don't know what role he filled this year or what he's going to do last last year, but man. He seems like just a man. Any college staff would want to have a kid like that. He was a great JC transfer for us. And, like, nobody really knew where he was going to go. He went and played for the Bend Elks that summer. And then, luckily, Oregon State staff was like, we, we need this kid. He's good. Wow. <laughs> he throws four pitches for strikes. So, he's fastball, change, slider, and curveball. And he can throw them all for strikes, which is huge at the college level, right? Everybody knows that if you can throw multiple pitches for strikes, you're really tough to hit already. Yeah. He also has that mentality that he's going to go out there and shut down everybody. And he doesn't care. He's going to throw strikes. He's going to say, hit my stuff if you can. Mm -hmm. You can't. The team showed that. He was a stopper last year, and Ryan Brown was our closer, right? And those are two elite guys in the bullpen that are both coming back. One of those guys may see starting time. We're just going to have to see how the season progresses as one of them might be the Sunday starter. We'll see what happens. I think that we're going to see both of them in the bullpen to start the season, but as the season progresses, they might get some starts here and some spot starts. But Ferrer is a true talent, really helps the bullpen, shores it up. I think that the pitching staff, Coach Dorman, again, he's done a tremendous job down there, and I think that they're really set for success. Yeah, especially when you talk about Brown had uh, nine saves last year and you got Ferrer. I mean, to me, I'm just trying to get through six innings because I got seven, eight, nine locked down with those two guys. So that's impressive. Yeah. All right. So prediction time here. So what teams do you foresee hosting a regional from the Pac-12 this year, in your opinion? I'd be shocked, starting at Stanford, I'd be shocked if they are not a 16. Really should be a top eight, I would think, by the end of the season. That team is just too talented to really struggle too much and really drop too far. Maybe they don't win the conference if UCLA or Oregon State really play well, but Stanford is going to be elite. They're going to be a top 16 seed. UCLA and Oregon State. So they're both on that cusp of being good enough to win the conference, but also still a little young and still a little green. So it's going to take some preseason conditioning for these guys. I believe that both of those schools probably should host this year. It's going to come down to Pac-12 play and see how many wins they get. If they both get over 40 wins, that's really where you see that national hosting for them on the West Coast here to get that love. I think that those are the only teams that we see as far as chances of being top 16. Uh, Oregon is feels like they could possibly crack that top 16 if they have a tremendous season, but they're going to have to jump UCLA or Oregon State to get that spot. I don't believe that the Pac-12 is going to get four hosts this year. Yeah, yeah, I would agree with you. I mean, to me, that makes a lot of sense. And I think knowing their track record, I could just see probably – if it came down to Oregon State and UCLA, I could see the committee maybe choosing Oregon State because they know what they're going to get. You know, let's be honest, in terms of a revenue perspective, a fan a fan perspective, the facilities, you know, they're used to doing that. It's a, a common occurrence up there. You think any Pac-12 teams make it to Omaha? I know everybody's got to do predictions, but uh, in your opinion, are we going to see Stanford make it back, or we got a sleeper in there? I think that we see one team, and whether it is Stanford, UCLA, or Oregon State is yet to be seen. Yeah, uh, I feel like Stanford obviously is the favorite with all their experience and going their back-to-back years, and Esker's got a good team coming back again. I think that UCLA and Oregon State both will have the talent to get there. It's just where they get matched up, you know, in that tournament. You know how difficult yeah. it is when you have to – you don't know who you're going to be playing. You don't know who you're shining up with. I believe that those are the three teams that could, but I think only one of those three teams gets to Omaha. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it's a total flip of the coin, you know, with upsets and super regionals. And who's hot? Just look at Ole Miss last year. You know, I don't have to look any further than that. All right, Mark. Yeah. 
I cannot let you get out of here without getting your take on the SEC. You know, got to uh, placate the audience here. So how do you think the SEC is going to shake out? You can go east-west. You can go top to bottom. You know, do you have any surprise picks this year or somebody, like you said, Oregon was kind of your dark horse. You know, what's your take on the SEC, you know, from your perspective? So obviously, when you look at the SEC, Tennessee and LSU are yeah. very talented. Tennessee's got the pitching staff. Their question marks are whether they're going to be able to hit the ball as well as they did last year. I don't believe that they do. I think they're solidly number two, though. LSU, at number one recruiting class, number one transfer class. Right. They have all this talent. I mean, there's no reason to pick them anywhere but first in that conference. But I think you look at a team like Florida, who really built with that. They, you know, they got Wyatt Langford out there, who's quietly a Golden Spikes finalist. Very good outfielder for that team. They also added Hurston Waldrop from Southern Miss. Thank you. That that starting lineup, if, if I'm looking and picking a player that's going to make an impact right now for a team in the SEC, Hurston Waldrop, look at him, see what he's going to do. I believe he's going to be superiorly talented there. I also think that Ole Miss drops a little bit. I think that this lineup is not as experienced. They don't have that leadership that they've had in the past. Missing Elko is going to be huger, more big than people think. They really believe that. They have the guys that I love Jacob Gonzalez. I don't see him as a locker room leader. I don't see him as that guy that really steps up. So I think Ole Miss takes a step back. I think Mississippi State gets better than they were last year. I think that they have the talent. Hines down there is a true talent down there. He's going to hit 20 home runs. I think that there's going to be some really good SEC games. I'm also with you, Chris. I'm worried about Vanderbilt. They can pitch. You're right. Where are they going to score runs? I, I just don't see it in that lineup. I just see that they're inexperienced. Maybe, you know, Corbin works with those guys every day. He sees differently, possibly. What we're seeing from the outside as far as the media is that Vandy is down. So they're not going to be as good as far as a lineup, in my opinion. Yeah, no, it's – um. I think Mark's been listening to 60 feet, 6 inches. No, I agree. <laughs> I, I, I'm 100% on board with you. It's like Hurston Waldrop is the least talked about transfer in the country and one of the best pitchers in the country. And when you look at Florida has returning, and I didn't know until I started digging in, they return almost their whole pitching staff. I mean, they are loaded from closer. You have Sprout at the top end with Waldrop. They're one of the best two combinations in the conference, maybe right behind Tennessee. You know, they have a lot of good one-two combinations. Um, I totally agree with you on Ole Miss. I think they're overrated. I have a lot of question marks on that pitching staff. Once again, I'm not seeing them every weekend, so all I know is from what I read and, and the stats, but – I think they have a lot of issues in the pitching staff. And then I like A&M's lineup a ton. I worry about their pitching staff as well. And obviously that's being guided by Nate Yeski, somebody you're very familiar with. It's year two. I think eventually he'll get those guys right. But uh, their lineup is um, almost akin to Stanford to where they're going to be able to mash. I don't know what the rest of them is going to look like. Um, besides Waldrop, I guess, do you have any – maybe pick one, a transfer, just somebody kind of from the SEC that somebody else you're interested to see how they're doing? Over there, it could be anybody. Transfer, freshman, Juco guy, returning guy that should step up. You know, anybody piques your interest? Uh, I don't know how to say his name. Sagento, uh, the guy that throws both hands, throws left hand and right Oh, hand. from Mississippi, from Mississippi State, yeah, yeah. Re I really want to see what that's <laughs> going to look like. I want to see how that pans out because I believe that that's going to be – he's, he's going to get a lot of innings and opportunities, right? That, that's what Mississippi State's saying. Crazy. So he's going to get yeah. chances. So I really want to see what that looks like in that lineup, you know, facing the SEC day. So <laughs> that's that's him. a big one there for me, seeing what that happens to come and turn out. You know, the other one for me is I really do – I know it's, it's kind of like an LSU homer pick. I want to see Paul Skeens. I really want to see this guy yeah. on the mound. I want to see him as a DH role. I want to see him get chances. I think that he is a Golden Spikes finalist. 
and I really want to see what he can do. So those are the two that really come to my yeah. mind of guys that I just want to see kind of where they're at. Yeah, I had a chance to see Skeens last night at the time of this recording, and um, he's looking good. He's looked good all fall and all spring, so can't wait to see him uh, when it really counts. All right, real quick, SEC teams making it to Omaha. And last year it was like, you know, the 90s again, where it was like the SEC West comes to Omaha. You know, do you, uh, you think they have as much success this year, or, or are you kind of backing off that number? What do you think? So four went last year, right? Right. I, I think that we see one less. I, I, I believe that they're going to get three. I think that it's a really talented team. There's so many good teams there in the SEC, but it's still tough to make it through the tournament, and ACC got better. So when we talk right. about the ACC kind of getting better, they might push some more teams forward in that tournament. You're going to get at least one from the Pac-12 probably. There's just not that many seats at the table, right? There's only eight to go. Right. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to take three. I think that three teams make it. Um, I would love to see that LSU gets there. I think Tennessee really breaks through. I think that this is their year with pitching and everything yeah. else in the falters last year. I think that that's a team that gets through. And then you're going to be looking at, you know, Florida, A&M, Mississippi State. Arkansas, One of those teams maybe, is going to yeah. try to get Arkansas, like DVH. I know that they just took a big hit on their Friday night starter, just went down mm -hmm. for the season with uh, Tommy John surgery. So yeah. they're going to have to figure something out there. But, you know, it takes a lot to get to Omaha. It takes a little bit of luck and a lot of skill. No doubt. No doubt. So, well, man, I appreciate it. So that's going to do it for us here at the 60 Feet 6 Inches LSU Pod as we wrap up a special Pac-12 preview edition. I want to extend a huge thank you to Mark Garland for getting up early on the West Coast and talking – Really, all, it turned into all things college baseball, but really focusing on the Pac-12 and giving his very educated take on the SEC. So I really appreciate you joining, Mark. Thanks a lot. Thanks. Anytime, you know, just hit me up. I'll come on. I love it. Love that baseball. Sounds great, man. And uh, for y'all out there, as always, you're able to find this episode in any that you may have missed so far in podcast form on all the major platforms, Apple, Google, Spotify. This episode is also going to be available on the YouTube channel, 60 Feet 6 Inches. And also be on the Twitter account at 60FT6INLSUPOD. So make sure to go check out Mark and all of his amazing content, the Weekend Rotation Podcast, College Baseball Central, College Softball Central. All that stuff will be linked on my Twitter page. And don't forget, I have one more episode left in the SEC preview rundown. And that's right, I'm saving the best for last, baby. LSU and Tennessee kicking the season off. That will be dropping Wednesday. And hopefully I got one more thing special in store for you all on Thursday, right before opening pitch at Alibach Stadium kicks off on Friday. So until next time, y'all stay safe. And as always, go Tigers.